Hi, Caleb. Hey, Mike. How's it going? It's going pretty good. How are you doing? Doing well. What are you drinking tonight? Tonight, I am drinking a South Slope. Oh. So I got a little, little gin, a little Aperol. Uh, it's actually quite delightful. How about you? I have a whiskey sour with egg white, which apparently is a Boston sour. Boston. A Boston sour. That sounds wicked awesome. It's really good. And I switched out lemon for lime, uh, but it's great. I really like it. And a little bit of egg white in there. So it's quite nice. Quite frothy. Mm-hmm. Speaking of frothy. Frothiness is in the air. We had a big announcement this week uh, with Tesla. And uh, it really was in uh, the Gigafactory land in Nevada. A giga announcement, a giga event for a giga moment. Yep. So basically, Tesla, you know, made a big coming out party for the Gigafactory, sent out invites a few weeks back about the party and throwing sort of a rager of a party for owners. Is this for... um press or was this owners or this was owners? Is that what you just said? They had both. They had both. So they, they had uh, press come out a day or so before um, and they had all sorts of press from CNBC to Wired to Fortune um, to the auto blogs to uh, some of the clean tech sites. No one from the Tesla show was there, right? That's correct. We, okay. were, not, we were not invited this time. This time. And um, they w- were given a, a tour. They had hard hats on. They had shiny vests. So they were going inside the <laughs> factory. <laughs> they were going on top of the factory. They were going into construction zones. And I think the primary directive from Tesla was to impress upon the, the press how large the Gigafactory is, how much progress has been made, how Tesla and Panasonic are working extremely well together. And that this is all in service of the Model 3 and that Tesla is is fascinated with manufacturing and factory design. I think those are sort of the big thing, big messages from Tesla um, for the press. One thing that I still don't quite understand is necessarily why they had the uh, why they had the party and and sort of unveiling this week or last week. Um, it's not done. I, the Gigafactory is only fourteen percent complete by Tesla's own admission, and so I'm not quite sure how many people throw uh, you know an opening party when their restaurant or their home is only fourteen percent done. <laughs> it's almost a quinceanera. <laughs> So I'm not, I, I don't know what I, I guess they, they, it must be that the, the, the pace of events they have coming wouldn't allow them to do it much later. And they want to get the message out that they're ready for model three ahead of new earnings. I, I don't, I don't know exactly why they would do it right now. Um, but I, I mean, I'm, I'm excited they did cause we got some really good info, but I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on why, why they would announce it now instead of waiting till it's actually more complete? Like, why, why not do it when it was 7% done or 21% done? That, that's the one thing it was a little bit mm, perplexing to me is why do it now versus later? Yeah, I have no idea. Um, I mean, I know bankers and VCs take August off. So if they wanted to get Elon there, he probably had to, you know, do it before August rolled around. And if you don't do it then, then you're st- if you get into September, then you're starting to rolling into Burning Man. And there are probably only so many Nevada desert events that you can have. And iPhone season. Yeah. So I don't know, maybe that's it or, or maybe these are terrible ideas. I, I really don't know. I think it must be that, um, that they think it's not as, uh, as important of a story or won't get as much press as the model three unveil. And so part two, I mean, and so after part two has to be coming within the next six to 12 months. And so they don't really think they'll have any other event uh, until then. So I think this has to fill in for that because if you have this event after the Model 3 unveil part two, it, it doesn't carry as much weight. Um, I think that's the only only reason is like you have to do it before Model 3 since the Gigafactory is producing the cells for Model 3. And also that there's just too much going on uh, production-wise to keep some of the things secret that they've unveiled, um, which we'll get to. Yeah, maybe it was just a, like, this was the best time. Like, if they, once they start breaking ground on the next part of what they're doing, that then it would be difficult to bring people in. And maybe this was just a lull in the construction activity or something where it afforded them the ability to have a little party. Yeah, I think so. I think it must just be that it was the most, I think they probably had the most optimal time for when can we get people in that's safe and there's enough to look at. Because the interesting thing is that uh, the Gigafactory has some 
construction, a lot of construction still happening, um, but some production actually happening on the power packs and power walls. And, and one of the neat things about the fact that people got to go and do tours, so they had a, um, on Friday, uh, a lot of uh, owners got to come and visit the Gigafactory and they were having a party in the evening, but during the day, they actually gave tours and uh, people could, could record and do videos and, and photos. And so a few people did live streaming on Facebook video and Periscope and things like that. And uh, so I, I watched one or two videos. One was an hour or so of a full tour. And another one was a 20 minute sort of excerpt, uh, interesting bits of the tour. And uh, there were a lot of parts of the factory for producing cells that are not running yet, especially in the Panasonic side. So if everyone remembers that... The Gigafactory is both uh, a factory that Tesla owns, but also Panasonic is sort of a, uh, a lessor of space and in partnership with Tesla. And Panasonic is the battery company that they currently buy their cells from, but they have to ship them overseas and Panasonic produces them in their own factories. Panasonic's the one that's actually manufacturing the actual battery cells from the raw materials and then handing them over to Tesla, who then assembles them into packs. Is that right? Exactly. Exactly. And Tesla and Panasonic have been working together on uh, on improving the chemistry and the production process and also inventing a new cell size. Um, so uh, remember when we spoke before that there was this idea of the uh, 18650 cell, which uh, corresponds to the, the actual physical dimensions of the cell. So think of like the AA battery. It's sort of 18 millimeters in diameter and 65 millimeters long. So it's about the size of a AA battery. That's what the commodity battery was in the day when Tesla got started and was actually what was used in a bunch of laptops and sort of the number one cell size for lithium ion. And so they decided to, you know, rig all those up uh, in parallel and put them into packs. And that began the Roadster and Model S and Model X. But now that they get to create their own factory and make their own cells and have Panasonic working directly with them, they decided to think through, well, what would be the ideal battery cell? Because these were designed for um for, for laptops, which is not the same sort of usage patterns as vehicles. And so they've actually gone back and redesigned from scratch what those characteristics should be and what the ideal size would be for Tesla's own needs. And it's actually a much bigger cell that they ended up with, which is actually 21 millimeters in diameter. So three millimeters uh, more in diameter, and it's 70 millimeters in height, so another five millimeters high. And when I saw those stats, I thought, oh, that's not that much bigger. But in the videos and the photos, you can tell it's it's quite a, quite a lot larger. That must be somewhere between like a C battery and a D battery. It's more, yeah, it's like an elong, it's like a, a blown up between an A and a C battery. Oh, okay. And what's interesting, I, I guess it ends up having about 45% more, more volume. Um, and so you can, you can understand that like there's so much more inside of it relative to the casing and the casing is inert on It's like useless. Um, and so they end up getting, uh, the, the benefit of being able to pack a lot more useful, uh, chemical inside of each pack, um, with this new cell size. And so those are what's actually going to be inside the model three first. Uh, and then we'll trickle into the Model S and Model X. So that is a new battery cell that we didn't fully know about. We knew rumors about, but is now sort of being described and and uh, and shown off. And Panasonic will be making those for Tesla. So that's sort of one of the first big things that we sort of found out about through the uh, press day and also the... Um, the videos from the people visiting was seeing this new cell and seeing sort of the entire process of how Tesla is making them inside the Gigafactory. So did any of the, uh, owners, since you mentioned that these are all or mostly Tesla owners who are at this event, did any of them post any information about how, like, did they bring this supercharging network around that facility to its knees or something? Cause if you imagine, I, I have to imagine the supercharging network in rural Nevada is not incredibly huge. And if you have all of a sudden a thousand Tesla owners trying to make its make their way uh, to this factory, it seems like you, you could sort of tax the, the available uh, capacity of that area. Yeah, apparently they had, um, they have superchargers at this, at the uh, Gigafactory for, for employees and also for visitors. So they had some there. 
Apparently, they also bust in a lot of people from the hotels um, in downtown Reno. Uh, it's about 30 minutes away from downtown Reno, the factory. But yeah, I think they uh, they definitely had a lot of people using the superchargers around there and then in downtown Reno. Yeah, because they had a video of all the cars, par- all these Teslas parked in the parking lot there at the at the factory. Yeah. And the Atlantis hotel, uh, in Reno is also now a supercharger, but I think you're right. Like this is probably the most stressed out that supercharger world has ever been in Reno. And, uh, a lot of electricity being used to charge up, uh, hundreds of, uh, Model S's <laughs> and Model X's, um, certainly quite busy. So the, uh, the event that we watched, uh, the live video event, how like, was that at the end of the day after all the tours? Was it before everything kicked off? Like when, it, it had a vibe of, uh, I mean, uh, the best way I can describe it is like the Model X event. It kind of felt like a frat party being held at a cult compound. Uh, lots of hooting and hollering, <laughs> lots of call and response. It, it was just, it was kind of uh, unusual, especially when you watch it like a day or two afterwards and the, the moment has passed. Um, like how, how do they actually, how, how does that happen? Yeah, I agree. It, it, um, it doesn't come off as well not being in the room, uh, watching the live stream and then watching it, the recorded version. So that did happen on Friday night at around 9-ish p.m. Pacific time. So folks had gone through the tours and um, they have parties. Tesla really loves having parties uh, at their unveiling events and they do them at night. Uh, quite un- quite different from most tech companies and most corporate parties um, <laughs> happening in the morning for important announcements. And so I think that the challenge here is that they live streamed it, but the live stream from Tesla didn't, didn't perform very well, um, which was unfortunate, but there were some people periscoping and Facebook live posting and whatnot. Um, and yeah, I think the crowd was very excited. These are the most avid Tesla fans. They were invited specially to come and visit. And I think somehow they, they just sort of, they feel like it's more like a, a concert or something than a press conference. And so there was a lot of people making calls out in any sort of quiet moment to, you know, we love you, Elon, or like... Change the world! Yeah. <laughs> Mars! We, we believe. believe! Yes! So, lots of uh, lots of people, and so he had to engage, and it's it gets awkward after a little bit, and yeah. it's not, um, it's, it's yeah, not, not being there, and I think it's slightly disrespectful. Um, I think they did a good job. Uh, Elon and J.B. Straubel, the CTO, were both on stage for about 30 minutes, um, and they had some prepared remarks. I mean, they had some slides to sort of talk about what they're doing with the Gigafactory, but obviously everyone had already sort of been through the tours and these are diehard fans, so they know a lot of what's going on. So yeah, Tesla, I, I don't know. I, Tesla seems to still follow this format of party hard and then have an event with a live audience. Uh, yeah, if they're listening for advice, my my takeaway would be it would be really great if they could have a like shorter information dense press event and then have the owner party afterwards where it could be more of the Elon show where he's talking to the fans and stuff. But yeah, it's really it's really challenging to to watch that. And I, I remember the same thing from the Model X uh, event. It's it's just I don't know. It doesn't. Maybe it's just me. I don't know, but I, 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 I'm not a fan. You are a cranky old New Englander. That is true. That is true. I, I will concede that. And uh, I think that is why they did the press event though the day before, so that the news about the Gigafactory could get out there in advance of the of the stream and the prepared remarks, because the press had already uh, had already written their you know air quotes exclusives about their tour of the Gigafactory the day before. So all through Friday, all the releases were coming from all the major publications about their briefings on the t- on the Gigafactory. And they had the, fo- the photos of that little tiny dollhouse model factory. Yeah, the really neat little dollhouse they had made <laughs> with little tiny robots. Yeah, those were great. <laughs> so they had this neat model. Um, there's videos of it on YouTube of what the whole Gigafactory looks like. So I, I just imagine, like, what if you're like the intern or like someone who's like, okay, you gotta you gotta make this dollhouse factory version. <laughs> of the whole factory maybe that's from the architects though i mean that 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 kind of go from cad to maybe a little a small physical model uh i think it was yeah i think some of those robots were out of proportion but uh (laughs) it was it was neat to see um so so what do we get out of the event and the um 
the actual uh, um, visit of the of the uh, folks visiting around the Gigafactory. Let's sort of go through. I know I have some things on my list of things that stuck out to me. I know you have some things. So let's just go down, talk about what what stood out of sort of newsworthiness or interesting tidbits that sort of came out of this Tesla event. Sounds good. Um, so I think the first one on my list um, that stood out was the Model Y was confirmed as the compact SUV again by Elon on stage and that it's going to be the next vehicle. Um, I think it was pretty well believed that it would be the next vehicle. I think a lot of people were holding out hope that the Model 3 would have a um, hatchback edition, maybe, hopefully. But I think those dreams should be dashed by the fact that the Model Y, which is going to be a cross, uh, a compact SUV, is going to be the next vehicle that Tesla uh, you know, it's the next most important vehicle that they're working on and most likely will be the next unveiled. So that was sort of, um, more confirmation that the model Y will be, will be next. So the model three is stuck with the micro trunk. And if you don't like it, you have to wait for the model Y. Yes. Okay. That, uh, that, uh, it seems that they've done some work on the trunk to expand the trunk, to get more junk in the trunk, but it is not, um, <laughs> It is not going to be a, a hatchback um, style. So that was the first thing for me. What do you got? I thought the the emphasis on the, the factory itself was kind of interesting. They touched on a, on a couple of points that I thought were a little bit, um, I don't know, maybe overly emphasized. Uh, they're talking about how the whole factory was in CAD. Um, and and I, I think it was Elon who said that most factories are just like structures and random placement of of equipment and and that struck me as being extremely false uh that doesn't seem i i have to imagine that most factories i i don't believe that the iphones are manufactured in uh just a sort of bag of bots sort of uh factory i think i think uh companies that do manufacturing are are extremely concerned with efficiencies uh and and that, that just kind of felt like a little bit of a of a straw man argument and and seemed unnecessary yeah, I, 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 that stood out to me. I thought the CAD drawings, I, looking at them, they did look really dense. Um, there did not seem to be much floor space left over for humans to walk in between. But in the tour uh, that I watched, there was definitely a lot of empty floor space still. So there's still a ton of work to be done on many parts of the factory to get a lot of the equipment in. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've been in a couple factories, uh, nothing of the sort of technology bend, more old fashioned paper type factories and production stuff. Um, and those I would say are a bit more haphazardly laid out, um, where they are definitely machines that other companies have. They buy them, they put them in the factory floor and they try and put them in an arrangement that makes sense. Um, but I do think that this more high precision manufacturing, like you mentioned, of an iPhone or vehicles, clearly is more thought out um, than Elon maybe gave credit to. I mean, he sort of said it's sort of like catalog engineering, where you just sort of buy things out of a catalog and plop them in your factory. Yeah, it just felt it felt a little weird. It felt like, you know, that that seems like table stakes for advanced manufacturing. And it seemed weird to focus on it. Like you can talk about it, but it doesn't seem like a differentiating feature. So they seem to be extremely focused on pushing the boundaries for how efficient the factory can be. And so the two options are, I guess, one, they are they are so unfamiliar with manufacturing as a team that they've sort of discovered this process of being efficient and thought how powerful that is. But the thing that doesn't ring true to me about that is they do have a lot of uh, senior um, auto manufacturing folks on the team. And Elon is also talking about a 5x improvement over that. And he does seem to understand that in traditional manufacturing of automobiles, that the cars come off the line at a really slow rate. And you see this in a lot of behind the scenes, like how it's made videos of cars, that they're sort of moving through the factory at a very slow, like less than a meter per second kind of pace, like very slow. Um, and that he wants to get that up really fast. Um, Wait, I'm sorry. Are you saying a meter per second is slow? <laughs> That seems that seems really fast. No, 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 less than that. They're like 0.2 meters per okay, second or something. All right. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. But but his point was that iPhones come off the line extremely fast. Right. Uh, and that why can't cars? And also that you don't um, that the way that you improve this is the same way that you would in silicon manufacturing of making the circuit more dense 
and and increasing the clock speed. Uh, and so he's trying to take those sort of lessons learned from uh, silicon manufacturing into auto auto manufacturing. And it was part of the part you know master plan part two of the build the machine that makes the machine. Um, so. I think he they're just really fascinated by this idea. And one of the things that he was talking about in one of the press conferences that I did think was pretty cool um, was that he was talking about like, okay, it takes a ton of effort to improve a particular part on the car. And we can spend engineering resources to get a couple percentage points improvement over what's already out there. But if we take that same engineer and apply them to the problem of like, how do you build that inverter that like in his quoting him, it can deliver 10 times the efficiency improvement. And he, he cited one example where the engineers were able to reduce a production station's time from 200 seconds to a single second. Um, so industry best was 200 seconds up until that point, And they got it down to a second. So just sort of that he, he and the team are really trying to figure out how to make things a lot faster inside the factory. And then if you can make them faster, you spend less time uh, making them and you can make a lot more of them with the same fixed cost. So I think that was the main reason there and showing it in CAD is just sort of a cool, cool slide. <laughs> cool. What, did, what struck you? One thing that was really interesting was that he was talking about how raw materials come in one side of the factory and packs and batteries come out the other and they're going to build a train track to Fremont to get the packs over to, um, over to the, the Fremont factory for putting into the vehicles. But that in the next Gigafactory, Gigafactory 2 and beyond, uh, he expects that they're going to collapse both of those factories into one. So the Gigafactories in the future will actually manufacture the cells, batteries, and the cars. So raw materials will come in one side and finished cars will come out the other. And I thought that was, I was not expecting that. It makes sense in retrospect that they wouldn't build car factories and gigafactories in every place they want to manufacture cars, but that's going to be an even more giga gigafactory. Uh, <laughs> he mentioned specifically that he wants a gigafactory on every continent too. Yeah, that's the other thing. And um, I don't know. I don't know. There's some, I can think of one continent where it doesn't make sense. <laughs> I don't know. Penguins need their Teslas too. Yeah. Uh, and he, he sort of laid out that Europe is most likely next and then China and then another factory in Asia. Um, since the China factory will most likely have um, pretty strict joint partner partnership sort of work in it due to the way that China allows uh, outside companies to come in. Um, but the, that's going to be interesting as well. I mean, there's already the, the Gigafactory in Nevada is already labeled Gigafactory 1. So they're already anticipating more. And, and there's just more confirmation today, or I guess uh, when the event happened, that um, there will be many more and they will be car manufacturing as well. So that was kind of cool. Didn't, didn't know that before uh, Friday. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I thought the focus on recycling was pretty interesting too. Mm. I, I'm not sure if that was actually part of it or if that was part of the Q and a afterwards. Um, but yeah, they were mentioning um, the, the, the other guy, the naughty Elon guy who was the naughty JB, Elon guy. JB Straubel, CTO. JB. All right. Pass the peas. JB mentioned that the, the all the materials stay in the pack. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's obvious when you actually say it, but I think it's kind of interesting that there are no emissions. It's not dropping any, or you know, under normal circumstances, isn't dropping anything along the way. So if you recycle the pack, when it comes back, all the stuff they put into it is going to be there. Um, all the stuff that was in it when they shipped it out will be there when it comes back. Um, he did not go into how much of that material can be reused in the next pack. Um, so I think that's something I would I would like to know more of, like how much of it can be uh, reused in new packs and how much of it is going to be disposed of. And does that mean that if a lot of it's going to be disposed, does that mean that the Gigafactory is going to be at some point a future Giga Superfund site with materials all sort of accumulating in the ground? Um, that's, I think, kind of interesting. Um, they also talked a lot about lithium, like the actual yeah. lithium going on and how it's a very abundant resource uh, on Earth and uh, but yet it's only two percent of the actual battery pack which i thought was pretty interesting although they didn't specify what axis that's on is that two percent of weight volume cost um it's it's two percent of some dimension um and they didn't tell you uh, tell us what the other 98 percent are yeah and i i i keyed in on that as well and i thought that it was a great point because there's been one of the things that the oil industry and um, some of the folks who are trying to um, go up against the battery manufacturing world is showing photos of really clean, cool looking natural gas extraction in the forests and then showing <laughs> lithium mines as uh, 
contrasting and trying to say like, lithium mines are not green. Look at how beautiful our natural gas or fracking extraction is. Um, <laughs> clean coal. Clean, clean coal. As our friend says, it's like coal, but with the word clean in front of it. Yes, clean lithium. But um, basically that uh, the idea that the lithium doesn't go anywhere and that even when we've done extracting it, there's plenty of lithium on earth and to, to get all the cars electrified. And that once you've gotten the fleet electrified once, you can perpetually recycle that lithium over and over, unlike natural gas and oil that is burned and then you have to go find more of it. So um, that was a really sort of uh, sort of refreshing point to make that I think some people forget. Uh, and also one of the other things I think to the point about how much gets reused, um, that the lithium and some of the other um, metals like cobalt, which are in the battery, that the, uh, all of that can be re reused. It just sort of moves from one side of the battery to the other, and then they need to re uh, put, put in fresh electrolytes and redo it. But uh, that the whole the, like the entire production process as well as sort of this closed loop thing where um, some of like the slurry stuff that they add this liquid, the solvent in it to make it liquid to move through the factory and go into this jelly roll, um, which is basically the the anode tubes and then the cathode that it basically is flattened and then they roll it up into that cell structure um, that that all gets pumped continuously like a like a chocolate fountain uh, inside the factory <laughs> and so that that doesn't even get uh sort of reused similar to like a the water in a um a car wash or whatever where it sort of gets reused and bet some car washes are better than others but um sort of a closed loops just system um and that the gigafactory yeah will be the ones doing the recycling and the cool thing too is that they know what pack it was and they know how that car has been driven so they understand sort of the characteristics of that battery a lot better than a traditional recycling plant would sort of just take random batteries and have to you know use a generic process they're going to be processing tesla batteries um so that was kind of neat um just sort of a, a reiteration that the whole process is trying to be sustainable and also that the gigafactory is running will be running on geothermal and also on uh, solar energy so it itself will be running purely on electricity uh, of renewable uh, source. Yeah, the geothermal was new to me. I was a little unexpected when that popped out. Yeah, I think they just had so much energy usage that they can't even get enough solar panels. Didn't you mention it in the context of cooling too? Does that mean they're just like doing the, where they, you, you pipe the, the water or something down into the earth and it cools down and you bring it mm -hmm. back up to, to cool things off? Yeah, I think so. I think that's the, the big one there. And then eventually I think the, they said that the building is really well insulated, but a lot of the walls are temporary because they're still expanding. Um, I thought the whole focus on it being like they went over and over again about how it's the largest building in the world by square by the footprint. Yeah, footprint. Uh, and I don't know. I, I, I thought I thought that could use a little more explanation. I don't understand. Like, is that just because they can or is there some sort of tangible benefit to it being that large? Like, is there a benefit beyond it being, you know, four adjacent buildings that are you know, joined together? Like, does it, why does it have to all be in one building? And if it is one building, isn't it going to be subdivided and have firewalls and different stuff inside it? Like, I, it, it seemed like, I, I guess I was just wondering, is that something they're doing for, to be able to say they have the largest building or is there a, a concrete, uh, no pun intended, a concrete benefit to having, uh, having all of that being in one building? Yeah, I, I sort of have the sense that it's, a, mm, it's to show the sense of scale that Tesla is going after, that they are a tiny car manufacturer uh, in the grand scheme of things today, and yet they are going to have a factory larger than any other footprint building, so clearly larger than any other car manufacturer in the world and uh and also larger than any other building that exists and that's really second only to boeing in volume sort of i think speaks to their aspirations and that the gigafactory will produce more battery cells than the entire world produced in output in 2014 when it's at full production so i think it has to do with sort of their ambition of mm, the same same reason some people build really tall buildings or really fast roller coasters to say they have the biggest and fastest to show that they want to be the best. So there's some sort of intangible uh, publicity benefit or 
I think so. Yeah, because 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 also they're building it in stages. They could have been separate buildings, and like the buildings are actually subdivided for seismic reasons, anyways. Internally, they happen to have a contiguous roof, but structurally, they're actually not all one big, you know, giant um, slab floor or something. Um, they are kind of co-joined little mini buildings. Um, so it's interesting that it's really going to be considered one big building, but um, I, th- I think it's much more for the bragging rights of the of the bigness of it, and um, to to prove that their their ambition is is quite large um, beyond just roadsters. That I think a lot of people still think Tesla just wants to make cars for rich people, as much as they say they don't. Well, so, until they actually. I mean, that's all they do right now. So I guess until they actually don't, until they actually make more things, they're going to have to deal with that. Yeah. And I think this is, hey guys, like we're really serious about this. Like this is happening. People are building a lot of battery capacity here. What? There aren't that many rich people in the world who are going to buy that many cars. So what else struck you about the, uh, do you have any other interesting things? Yes. So we talked about in the last episode, who would share their car in a Tesla shared fleet? That doesn't seem to make much sense. (laughs) And Elon probably heard that loud and clear as well, because he went extremely specific on the details of the user interaction model of a future Tesla car sharing app by saying, you know, You'd be able to like go in and add your car to the fleet with one button and, and say if you just want five star users to have access to it or everyone or just your family. And then when you want it back, you just press the button in the app and it'll come back to you. So <laughs> A, pretty pretty ballsy to go so uh, in depth on how this feature is going to work. I'm, I'm curious if the UI designers and uh, product designers of the app knew that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I think... Uh, Regardless, it does signal a really good sign that uh, the idea of being able to share it just for your family, which then probably means similar to the way that I share iTunes with some of my friends, that that could be with friends. Now, that is much more interesting. Being able to share a car with a few people you know or just your family or... Does that really sound interesting to you, though? I mean, like... Yeah, that's much better. How would... How would you ever end up using that, though? That sounds like the kind of thing that sounds really cool. No. But then you realize, wait a minute, like we all drive to work around the same time. This is not a useful feature. No, no, no. So having that even just for your spouse, right, where you go to work earlier, they go to work earlier, and then the car is done, it drops them off at work, and then it comes back home and takes you to work. Okay. So you only need one car instead of two. All right. That that would be useful. So provided you don't have to show up at work at the same time. Yeah. But even if you, yeah. Well, I guess if you did, it could just drop one of you off and then the next one. Sure. And then come pick you up. But, but basically that the sharing system will also work for, you know, a small household or like being able to say your kid can call the car in the afternoon to come pick him up from school and take him home. And then it will come back and pick you up from work. Like th- that seems great. Or take him to soccer practice and drop him back off. Interesting. So that that seems great. And the idea or go pick up your your parents who need to go to a doctor's appointment and you can't drive them uh, or, or anything where it's sort of your family or friends need a, a ride somewhere and you're fine with them taking your car uh, when you're out of town. The other kind of neat idea I'd heard this week, which I thought was kind of neat about just the car sharing is say you go on trip across country and you're going to fly, but you could send your car in advance uh, or to follow you so you don't need to rent a car. I thought that was kind of neat. Because um, <laughs> my grandparents used to drive down to Florida to their Florida house. My they, parents they, do that, yeah. Yeah, they would have preferred to fly. So so they could have they could have uh, t- gone to, taken the car to the airport and then had the car go down, taken a taxi to their house, and then a few days later their car would show up for the summer or the, the winter in this case. Uh, that seems like it would be better to just pick up a new car when you get down there from the fleet. But okay. Anyways, <laughs> tangent. I, I was I was happy to hear that they are thinking about it more than just like, oh, we should have a sharing system. Maybe. I don't know. The, it. it sounded a lot like Elon was just talking about random features he had thought of. It, it, he sounded like he had tripped a little bit into the bored Elon Musk uh, mode from the view. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Twitter. If our listeners are familiar with the Twitter account of bored Elon Musk, where it's just this account that tweets out random crazy ideas. Uh, it, it started getting into that territory. I don't know. I still think it is great. And I also think that the being able to limit it to certain um, sort of um, caliber of people who have already proven themselves to not be drunk people in your car <laughs> certain times of day. I, I'm still thinking through whether or not I would share my car. Um, 
The question is whether or not the Model 3 and their first carnation will even matter. Like, will it have enough autopilot sensors to deal with it? But regardless, I think it's um, interesting that they're revealing that uh, information uh, so early because there's nothing, <laughs> nothing yeah. to actually productize yet. So yeah, that was, it was it was oddly specific for the current point of its evolution. Agreed. Uh, what else? What did you see? Uh, he talked a little bit more about this idea of a bus or mm-hmm. whatever you would call the the personal transport and about how he's um, surprised at how many people you can get onto the Model X chassis, um, which yeah. I, I, I do think they're misusing the word chassis as far as I understand it, but that's that's irrelevant. The platform, I think, is, is kind of what they mean. Yeah, the skateboard thing that you see in the stores, the Model X has one of those and, and you can build yeah. a car or shape or bus around it and that's the footprint. That's the yeah, car yeah. footprint. Um, yeah, which is kind of interesting. I, I think we had we had touched on this a little bit in our one of our autopilot episodes about how once you start taking the actual driving experience out of the equation, uh, it, it no longer becomes a like a design consideration and you can start making differently shaped vehicles and um, yeah, you can imagine if you have a Model X and you don't have to have a big sloping uh, hood and frunk and trunk, um, it could just be a giant box if it's just going at low speeds in an urban environment and you could just have people sitting from uh, stem to stern, I guess. Mm-hmm. Is, is that the right nautical term? Did I just, I, I stepped out of my depth a little bit right there. Yeah, that uh, works. Okay, we'll go with that. Um, so yeah, from, from bumper to bumper, basically just humans uh, all piled in. Um, so I, I just thought that was interesting. They didn't dwell on that too much, but I, I thought it was an interesting call out to this idea that once the, um, well, it's interesting because especially with Tesla, it's a, it's an interesting tension where, yeah, as the cars start driving themselves and become more of a, of a commodity and a service, then this whole idea of, a of a elite driving experience, like the, as one becomes more important, the other one becomes less important. And I, I, I think that's kind of interesting. And it was a, it was an interesting, uh, at least allusion to that. Yeah, and also he had been tweeting about this a little bit before that um, one of the one of the uh, car blogs, uh, Jalopnik, um, was guessing that the mini bus that Elon was talking about might be based on the Model X um, and had some renderings of it. And then Elon responded saying, "Pretty good guesses by Jalopnik ahead of the event." Um, and then at the event, he was talking about it, and and he had also mentioned that they were sort of inspired by the VW Customs uh, buses. So. You know, those buses don't really have much of a a, um, a hood uh, per se. They just sort of fall off straight, and then the back and the engine sort of is underneath the feet of the of the drivers, and they could fit up to ten passengers. And the VW bus was a really really popular vehicle uh, when it was in production, and that uh, they're sort of inspired by that. So I'm really curious if they sell a consumer version of this thing when they announce it or if it's purely for the commercial market um like will the will the tech companies in silicon valley have self-driving shuttles is that what you mean like no 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 i mean like i I expect that will happen so i don't think many regular people buy like the the the, uh, ford like sprinters and things like that uh they're sort of relegated to just like limo companies and uh like super shuttle and folks like that like not many regular people buy that they'll buy like an suv or a minivan so i'm curious if they'll sell a consumer version in the stores that's the tesla minibus or space bus or whatever they're going to call it to to regular consumers and have a a slightly different version that's like built like will they have one that's built with a steering wheel essentially or will they only wait till it's fully self-driving and you don't need any of that space in the front um passenger compartment for controls um but yeah, I could imagine a lot of, I mean, I, I think they'll probably be aiming for 10 people and this is clearly part of that bus concept, the high density transport thing they were talking about in master, master plan part two, which sort of rules out my little pod based system. Um, it sounds like it's going to be a little bit more traditional sort of vans that are going to have five to 10 people in them. And it could be, I think once you start getting into public transport though, then you start getting into, uh, regulations and rules about handicap access too and a lot of when you're watching bus drivers a lot of it is making the bus like dip down helping people get onto the bus who are in wheelchairs and there's uh not everyone is able-bodied so there's there's some considerations around that that um, if it's just a self-driving vehicle going around that there would have to be some sort of way to accommodate people who have sort of special needs in, in moving around 
Yeah, but certainly not every single one of them, especially if they're low density or like, sorry, low total passenger count. So they could have 10 out of 100 have the ability to uh, take folks in wheelchairs and you would press a different button if you need wheelchair access, similar if you need a taxi with wheelchair access um, or you need a van with wheelchair access today. So I would I would expect they'll have retrofits for that. And they already said that they'll have ones that could, could deal with folks who are in wheelchairs. Um, so I don't think all of them would necessarily be able to do it the same way the city buses can because they're going to be more sort of point to point instead of uh, a fixed loop. Um, but I guess we'll see. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see as they start selling into public markets, how they like run up against things like in the U.S. We have the ADA that, that kind of legislates uh, what municipalities and stuff have to be able to accommodate. Um, so it'll, there'll be some sort of uh, governmental outreach i guess there or yeah i mean the reason i was curious about the consumer side of things honestly is because i know so many people who use the minibuses convert them into like kind of baby rvs where (laughs) they're like slightly living in them and slightly driving them and they don't want to have a full-size rv they want to drive a vehicle that is much more easy to handle and so if it's self-driving this could be sort of the first step towards a baby rv from tesla that the consumer version might have one with only two passengers and then a bed and sofa. Yeah. Oh, one of the other things that uh, I think a lot of people will be disappointed about who are Arden Tesla fans is that um, someone in the rowdy audience asked about the Roadster, I think. Yeah. Elon did not not give a concrete answer. So he's willing to talk about a five-star elimination system for this unannounced sharing system, (laughs) but not willing to commit to doing another Roadster. Uh, he basically said they'd love he'd love to do another roadster, um, but they need to focus on these other vehicles first, and that a road doing a roadster is sort of like dessert. And um, so he did not commit to doing another roadster, um, even though they previously had been talking about doing one. So I think it's, I mean, they only sold four thousand or so of the first roadsters, so that's a really small production run vehicle um, in the context of everything else they're doing. I mean, even the semis would sell hundreds of thousands if they do a good job there. So yeah, it's an interesting future glimpse, I guess, about what happens as they start moving away from luxury vehicles and start making it up in volume with Model Threes and more commercial oriented vehicles that maybe a boutique prestige model is no longer something that they, that they do. But then again, who knows? I mean, you know, General Motors has the fancy super Corvettes that they make limited runs of too. It, it becomes a sort of, uh, at least for traditional auto manufacturers, there seems to be a, this idea of having a premium line for some sort of competitive advantage or prestige or whatever yeah yeah i think in the arc of time they'll do another one i just think it's not like the next four years um so i, I just it seems like they're gonna have their hands full with with model three model y um at least until 2020 uh, they probably won't even be done with the backlog until the end of 2019 for model three and then they're gonna have the model y which will be very popular as well assuming everything goes well and then they've got the semi and the bus, and then, then maybe they got Roadster in 2022 or something. So I think it's just distance of time from now when people might want one, because that'll be 20 years <laughs> almost I think the further time. you get away from now, the less likely there is to ever be another Roadster. I, I don't actually think there ever will be another one, because I think as you start getting that far out in time, I think the entire focus of tesla as a company becomes autonomy Mm. and cars driving themselves around and i think the idea of a roadster of a of a exhilarating vehicle to drive is inversely proportional to its autonomy like the whole idea of a roadster is that you want to be able to just whip around the roads yourself and and have this whole uh, i'm a f1 driver experience um and i think that is in direct uh opposition to cars that are self-driving and i think by the time they get around to doing that it's like cars are going to be it's going to be less about the sexiness and sportiness of the vehicle and more about other features like having the app i mean elon kind of betrayed it in in talking in explicit detail about this app that won't exist for five years about controlling your tesla and like you say just blowing off this idea of another roadster like he, he he betrayed what he's thinking about yeah, maybe the maybe the folks who want the roadsters are going to have to go to these alternative uh, electric car companies that are popping up that are going to follow a similar path that Tesla did of starting with a high-end vehicle to prove themselves and then moving 
more mass market, um, like a Faraday future or someone like that. But yeah, I mean, there's certainly demand for one now. I mean, it'd be pretty amazing to have like a 2.5 or 2.3 second zero to 60 supercar in a Tesla Roadster. But, um, I certainly wouldn't be buying one. It would just sort of be fun to go try. Um, oh, the other thing I thought was interesting, too, to the point about continuing uh, the high-end cars, is that the bus is going to be based on the X chassis, which then means, essentially, they're going to keep making the Model X for quite a while. And so that the S and X probably aren't going to go away, and that they'll just keep evolving them on the same platform. I thought that was sort of interesting that that they're not going to like totally toss them away like early models of iPhone design or PC design or anything like that, but actually keep those as their position in the product category and product line, but keep evolving them over time and that the chassis and everything are already being built on for the future. And the, the reason I find that so interesting is that it's been talked about that the Model X and Model S were not really designed to be um, to be built for high manufacturing throughput, but certainly the chassis design and chassis size platform, that there's nothing that special about that in particular. Um, those are just dimensions. So just kind of interesting that that sort of dimension set is pretty well defined and set, and they're already building future cars on it. So they'll have like the S platform, which is sort of the X, S and X platform, and then the Model 3 platform. And then also in a tweet, he mentioned sort of a pickup truck platform. So the pickup truck might be on something totally different. Um, and so they might just sort of have three platforms uh, plus the semi eventually. So anyway, it's just sort of interesting how many different setups they're going to have and how many different sorts of vehicles and permutations they could build on it. I think they'll have pretty much everything covered, like they mentioned. Um Oh, the last thing, sort of to your point last time about terrestrial transport, there was a bit of a hint about a new type of transport from Tesla potentially. What was that? Wait, what? Did I, I miss this? Well, it was, we, we talked about a lot of earthbound things, but he talked about a seabound thing. Oh, oh, about, yeah, someone in the Q&A, someone asked him about, um, he had talked about um, semis and, and cargo transport, and someone asked him about the cargo ships, and would Tesla have some sort of uh, any plans for dealing with that, which which is interesting because most of the pollution, I think, comes from these cargo ships that run through and burn like the lowest grade possible filthy diesel. Um, international waters, baby. Yeah, in the, in the lawless uh, international waters. Um, so yeah, what did, what did you think about that? I thought it was another great Elon, like, if they don't do it, we'll do it. So he basically said, if no one else builds an electric ship, Tesla will eventually do it, which he said about a few other things in the past. Uh, if someone else doesn't do it, we'll eventually do it. Um, I think I mentioned last time that the, the cruise ship that I went on at the beginning of the summer is technically an electric ship. Um, it has electric motors that actually spin the propellers, but then they have diesel generators that generate the power for the electric motor. So there's no battery. I mean, there might be some small battery backup, uh, but there's, it's essentially the electricity is being generated through the diesel fuel. I have no idea, uh, if that, if how other cargo ships work. It's basically the Chevy Volt of ships. Yeah. Yeah, really. So, I mean, if that's actually quite popular, then, you know, maybe that there's something there, but I, I have no idea. I don't know. That's okay. The one last thing I would point out um, was the pricing. So Tesla and Elon talked about um, the whole reason the Gigafactory exists is A, to produce enough battery cells to be in the cars because they were afraid there wouldn't be enough, and also to drive the price down. But the price down from where? So the uh, the current sort of best-in-breed Tesla battery pack pricing we know of is around $190 per kilowatt hour. Um, and so they plan to get to $100 kilowatt hour uh, by 2020. So almost 50% improvement by 2020. And that's sort of the magic number that pretty much all analysts agree is when uh, electric vehicles cross this magical point of cost uh, relative to internal combustion engine vehicles without any subsidy. So by 2020, if things go well for Tesla and their estimates, they will be at a point where they could produce cars at uh, parity with, uh, with, with internal combustion engine cars and uh, clearly have a lot of other inherent advantages. So I just thought that was really great to finally get a number of sort of where they're targeting um, because the battery packs are the most expensive single component 
of an electric car and of a Tesla. And so the biggest way they can make them more affordable of all the things they can do is to work on the battery pack. And that's clearly why they're spending so much time on the Gigafactory instead of like uh, the Giga battery pack or the Giga like um, uh, motor system or the Giga interior design system or whatever <laughs> to try and drive down the cost of their leather or something. It, it's all sort of in the in the battery pack um, and then eventually in the general structure of the vehicle, sort of the second biggest component. So um, that's why they're spending so much time on the construction uh, of the of the vehicle in the in the uh, factories. But um, it's interesting how much they focus on um, lithium ion battery packs and the, the cost of that. And I mean, I guess you can't predict any sort of future paradigm shifts that might happen in technology but the internal combustion engine has been pretty uh it's been a evolving technology for like 100 years now uh but lithium-ion batteries aren't all that new there were you know NICAD batteries before that and lead acid batteries before that and it's not as mature of a technology and it's not uh, entirely obvious to me at least that in five years lithium-ion will still be the best possible technology um, and, you know, I, I don't, they didn't talk about this at all, uh, but it would be interesting to know, like, how adaptable the Gigafactory is. Like, are they making a, a huge bet on a technology that might not necessarily be the cutting edge technology in five years or 10 years? They did say something about that in the tours, and maybe they just said it because they, they trained the tour guides from Tesla employees to say it. But they did say that as the other technologies evolve, they're building the factory to be modular so that... If the chemistry needs to change or some component changes or they have a different chemistry mix. you got to respect the chemistry. Yeah, you'd be able to adjust it. And I think the other really important piece is that uh, Elon has and Tesla have not said anything about any other major breakthroughs happening in science that they believe they want to commercialize. And that that process could easily take five or ten years to commercialize some breakthrough. So oh, yeah, definitely. they just haven't seen any breakthroughs yet. Um that would lead them to worry about lithium ion being the, the thing to keep betting on. But yeah, I mean, I'm sure they would love for some new battery technology that's more efficient and less cost. But at this point, they have to they have to bet on the, the horse they know. Um, but yeah, certainly one of the, as we talked about, one of the downsides of Ford was that the vertical integration really came to bite them in the butt when um, Chevy came along and started introducing a new car every year. And, and, uh, and Ford really just sort of had the Model T and Model A and a few other um, few other models, and they couldn't keep up with the refresh cycle that Chevy uh, was able to invent. So certainly different times, um, but the battery technology and the investment they're making. Luckily, the battery side is on Panasonic's sort of books. Um, so from Tesla's point of view, uh, if they do need new batteries, they could potentially go to some other supplier. But um, I mean, they're going to be producing so many batteries it's it would be quite difficult to produce enough fast enough where um they could switch quickly so yeah especially if they've got six gigafactories on six different continents yeah i think it's going to be a long time coming before some new battery comes through so they need to they need to get everything they can out of the lithium ion but um yeah so that was the last thing i just wanted to point out is that um that's a, that's a really large price reduction in four years from where we are today um so good sign for the type of uh range and uh, overall price that you could expect in four years so cool i was glad the event happened it was cool they they streamed it out and were very giving with letting people take photos and video so even though we weren't there it sort of felt like we were there (laughs) it was a virtual experience it was um cool well that's it for this week's episode um where can people share their thoughts with us and find out more Yeah, if you have any thoughts or if you were there, uh, that would be excellent, too. If you can give us a first-person account, um, you can reach us on our subreddit at r slash the Tesla show or on Twitter at the Tesla show or on our beautiful website at theteslashow.com. Yep, that's it. All right. See everyone next week and uh, talk to you later, Mike. Talk to you later. Bye.